Welcome to the Intentional Leaders Podcast with Cindy Wetland. This is episode 40, Why I Was Dumb to Dislike Servant Leadership. Hi, I'm Cindy, an educator, certified coach, and passionate learner on all things leadership related. It seems like just yesterday I was fresh out of grad school, wanting to make my way in the world, longing to make a difference to people, to team, to the business. Little did I know how challenging it would be. Fast forward several decades later, I've made a career of leading while teaching and coaching thousands of leaders to be at their best, most effective selves. Along this journey, I've captured so many insights, lessons, and techniques on how leaders become amazing, and also as leaders, when we get it wrong. I'll share them all right here because I founded Intentional Leaders to provide easy access to these kinds of lessons and equally important to help you build the presence, confidence, and credibility you need to be the leader that everybody wants to work for. Because I know leadership has its challenges, but learning to lead shouldn't be one of them. You may have heard of servant leadership before. It's one of like a billion leadership theories and one that I always disliked. Why did I dislike this? Well, you know, it's the theory title that I got stuck with because a servant is a person who performs duties for others, especially a person employed in a house or domestic duties or as a personal attendant. And I didn't like that because I compared servant to subservient, definition of which is prepared to obey others unquestioningly, less important, subordinate. Well, if you know me at all, and maybe some of you do, maybe some of you don't, but I have always had an issue with subservient. I don't actually like the word. In fact, I dislike it immensely, the word subordinate. I don't talk about bosses and subordinates because that power dynamic, I think, is offensive and inappropriate. And is anyone really subordinate to someone else? In a way, I believe that people should be respected and they should be collaborative and they should be partnering. So right from the get-go, disliked this leadership theory title. After exploring it a bit, and after understanding all the different elements of it, I came to realize, of course, that there was significant value in it, and in fact, how aligned I was to this theory. Where did this all start? This theory was created by Robert Greenleaf, and he developed it in 1970, which of course, I remember, maybe some of you don't, but he was 66. And at the time he was working at AT AT&T and he had risen throughout the organization from alignment into being in a leadership role. He really believed that the servant leader is a servant first. It begins with a feeling that someone wants to serve and to serve first. Then that brings us to an aspiration to lead. How interesting is that? Because Some of his concepts were that the difference manifests itself in the care taken by the servant first to make sure that other people's highest priority needs are being served. He also said 
a servant leader focuses primarily on the growth and well-being of the people in the communities to which they belong. And also, he said the servant leader shares power, puts the needs of others first, and helps people develop and perform as highly as possible. So when you look at all of those concepts of servant leader, like, duh, that makes complete sense. In fact, it is really difficult to argue with any of those premises of what a servant leader actually is uh, and what he's defining it to be. So Larry Spears was a guy who was a president CEO of Robert's uh, Greenleaf Center. And he really explored this and wanted to put some framework to it. So he came up with 10 characteristics or principles of servant leadership. And this was his list of essential ingredients and really helped someone to understand how to move from more of a hierarchical or autocratic style to one in which we're focused more on relationships and trusts. So I want to share these 10 principles with you and also share a very ironic twist in my brain that had me really re-exploring this leadership theory and coming to appreciate and admire it in a different way. So principle number one is listening. Listening is foundational, I think, to any relationship because everyone wants an opportunity to be heard. Everyone wants respect. And from that listening, we gain insights into people's needs and wants and values and concerns, and we establish a foundation of trust. So listening is ingredient one, and I think a hugely important one. The second is empathy. And a lot of people that I work with are really um, conflicted, I would say a little bit about emotions at work. And there's still a lot of beliefs that should we share our emotions or not? How much do we need to share? What's the difference between empathy and sympathy? But empathy is really understanding the other person's emotions, that we care personally about them, that it matters. And that just doesn't mean the workplace, but it also means personal life as well. We bring that to our job, whether we want people to or not. And we have to look at the whole person and empathy is one way to do it. Ingredient number three is healing. When we think about this, what is healing in the workplace? What an interesting term. But think about that and think about that in your role as a leader or as a problem solver, because healing is just that. Healing is about fixing problems. It's about resolving challenges. It's about mitigating and working through conflicts that occur. Healing is all about making the situation better through our efforts. And that's a beautiful thing. I think most people would agree that that's part of our role. Ingredient number four is awareness. This to me has become so foundational, not just from a leadership perspective, but as a human being, that we need to increase our self-awareness. We need to know what we're strong at. We need to know what our growth areas are. We need to be transparent, be a great role model for learning and continuous improvement. And without self-awareness, we are not able to do that. And I think part of our role should be increasing self-awareness of others around us as well. That is when we really step into, I think, our purpose and our light is through self-awareness. Number five is persuasion. I kind of like the word influence better, but let's not get all wordsmithy here. Persuasion is really taking the time to influence others towards the direction they need to go. And this is not about compliance. It's not about pressuring people or using power. 
This is about using strategies to shift people's mindsets and therefore the behavior. Help them to go in the direction that will serve them and the organization well. And I believe that is part of our role. Number six is conceptualization. What this means is that we're always keeping the bigger picture in mind. We help to make connections. We always share the purpose and importance of the tasks that we're asking people to do, the things that we want them to do. So we keep the big picture in mind, connect the dots for people. We make sure everything is tightly knitted together in people's minds so that they understand what they're doing and why. Number seven is foresight. And I think foresight is a really important one as well, because it also means that, yes, we know where we're going and we learn from the past to create a more successful future. I think it's interesting that hindsight is really valuable to foresight because hindsight allows us to step back and be more deliberate about what worked well, what didn't work well, so we can go towards a future that is more successful. I love the combination of both of those things. Number eight is stewardship. And stewardship means we understand our role and the importance of our responsibilities. We know that we need to earn trust and confidence continuously, that we need to show up and step into the role with competence and with responsibility. Number nine is commitment to the growth of people. This for me was a no-brainer. Of course, I'm committed to growth because I've been dedicating 30 years of my life to it, and I think it's super important. And I also believe right now in the market today, we have to be committed to the growth of people because if they don't, our people are going to leave us. They're looking for growth. They're looking for mastery, and mastery is also a significant intrinsic motivator. We must make that connection. We must make the time and we must provide the resources to help people to do this. They own their growth. Everybody has to own their growth and make it happen. But we as leaders have to be a good broker for learning. Make sure we point people in the right direction. And I don't mean in a free-for-all, like you get to grow grow in whatever area you want. (laughs) I mean aligned with the organization and also aligned with your personal goals. And then number 10 is building community. Community means we're going to build coalitions around us. We're going to encourage dialogue. We're going to foster collaboration. It means that we stress engagement and that we also make people safe to contribute in whatever ways they can. So the 10 characteristics, the 10 essential ingredients of servant leadership are listening, empathy, healing, awareness, persuasion, conceptualization, foresight, stewardship, commitment to the growth of people, and building community. Servant leadership is definitely gaining traction in the past many years, actually. Um, And out of all the different leadership theories, what's interesting about this is it has, I think, more of a following and more people trying to aspire to be a servant leader. And I I would actually argue that it has become even more of a need and focus in the past year and a half with what's going on in our world. Because in times of great stress and chaos and uncertainty, employees absolutely want to be heard, understood, and supported. And I don't mean just professionally, but personally as well. And the younger generations want 
and demand more from their managers and organizations. We must show up in this way to engage people and to get their commitment. And I think that is at the core of servant leadership is think about the positive shifts in engagement and commitment that all of these characteristics drive. However, it's a challenge to those who are trying to evolve their own leadership style or their culture. If you are a servant leader or aspiring to be one, it means you must have a selfless mindset. And that to many people may be perceived as a loss of control or power. And are you strong enough to let go of that power? Because if you are, and if you can embrace this mindset and understand those functional 10 characteristics, all of which are difficult to argue with, (laughs) those are absolutely best practices. You too can act purposefully, lead transparently, authentically, and serve successfully. Be smart about servant leadership. Get over the title of it to understand the elements of it. Because as I explore this leadership theory more, I found an alignment, and you'll see this in the show notes, with all of these 10 characteristics and many of my podcasts. Actually, all of the characteristics are supported by a podcast or two. And I thought, hey, I love servant leadership. I believe in servant leadership and I am a servant leader. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. And as always, if you find value in this podcast to share it with others. Also join me next week because we're going to talk about a really tricky subject, which is about how to apply consequences to people who don't do what they've agreed to do.